1: talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world, and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Oh, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke. Don't do
0: If I had a...
2: Well, I don't fake Jackson Jackson. I'm Tom Almond. We're on the board. SP Futures down twelve. Nasdaq Futures down fifty-three. This is after a down day yesterday, and we were up last night as we tried to do a little bit of bounce back here, but uh, uh, not so much. Earnings, earnings. We have a uh, Caterpillar down five fifty that's two percent, but McDonald's. Here's the headline: Is uh, McDonald's profit grows as inflation worried customers flock to its restaurants? There you go. I tell you what, I was at McDonald's a couple weeks ago. It's, uh, remember the, remember the buck coffee? What's that now? Two two and a quarter? Is it? Something like that.
3: I haven't been to a McDonald's in quite a while. I would say at least a couple years. Um, but I like McDonald's.
2: Yeah. I mean, they're, I mean, they're, uh, they're, you compare them to a Burger King in terms of cleanliness, it's not even close. Yeah. But I think, uh, Burger King is, uh, well, let's put it this way. Last time I was in Vegas, which is a long time ago. I, had a, I was doing a seminar, so I was coming back really early on a Sunday morning, so it was right before the uh, the, the restaurants in the airport opened. So they both opened at 8 o'clock, the Burger King and the McDonald's. Of course, everybody is totally, some combination of hungover or still drunk. And uh, I'm going to say the Burger King had a line of 20 people before the first person went to the McDonald's. So there's no question which is better for hangovers and for uh, if you're still smashed. Just saying.
4: Too bad there wasn't a White Castle there as well. Oh, so that would have been the real challenge.
2: Oh, if there had been a White Castle, it would have, have been. So, Brandon, one of our. i are got to ask you some questions about people in the market and psychology, but our guy died, Bobby Hull, eh?
4: I know. Yeah. It, it's sad that he died, but you know, 84 years old, it, it, it's it's sad when you think that people are dying and are of an elderly age, and yet the people that we remember as part of our generation.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, he was. Uh, How
4: can that be when we're still so young?
2: Well, plus in this day and age, I mean, you 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 think, you know, you, you would hope that you'd have a, a shot at ninety and in, in pretty good health, uh, maybe even older. But a lot of people don't get there, unfortunately. Um, yeah, but
4: Bobby Hull was an example of ridden hard and put away wet.
2: Oh God, yeah, oh yeah, it was. Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, I, I'm you know, obviously he's probably in the top fifty hockey players of all time, and uh, and you know, I'm sure that there were people who. Feel that there were better hockey players that we knew. I'm going to say Stan Mikita was probably a better player, maybe Hosa. but uh, mm. but you know, but I think he um, like uh, you know one of Maddie's favorites, Wilbur Marshall. Once you change teams and go somewhere else, you have forgotten about. I mean, if he'd have yeah. finished his career in the NFL or and the uh, NHL, you know, I'm sure he'd have been top ten. But he also had a knee he injury. Yeah, he, I'm sure. Well, he, had, I mean,
5: he had he
4: had over 900 goals when you combine his AHL and his NHL careers. He had over 900 goals, which uh, you know very few people have gotten to anything close to that level. Uh, but he also went with the animosity of Blackie, the enmity that he had towards words uh, in the Blackhawks organization for letting them go to to Winnipeg was just astounding.
2: Well, he also had a uh, as good as he was, he had a knee injury early. And you didn't want to no. have knee injuries in those days because for those who don't remember, uh, well, Matty probably does, when you see the uh, somebody bang into the, the goal and all of a sudden the goal slides back, it wasn't always like that. The, the goal posts were, were fixed. So yep. he, he banged in the goal post and hurt his knee at one point. But I'm going to say, you know, and I'm not the Mr. Hockey or anything like that, but I'm going to say to this day there was no more exciting player. I mean, there were, there were better yeah, players. When he, when no he grabbed
4: more. the puck behind the net and went up ice, it, it was just amazing. I remember seeing, watching games where he was just you know, ripping up the ice and taking a shot. And he had, I think, if I remember correctly, he was timed with the hardest strap shot ever.
2: Well, they also had for, the, the curve. I'm going to say the the combination of him and a few other guys, his brother and a few other people, with the curve stick, there's nothing like that today. Mm-hmm. There's nothing oh, like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the curve stick, he was he was clock-mitted at 119 miles an hour with the, with the curve stick. For yeah. God's sake, that's, that's what is it, 15 miles an hour faster than the fastest fastball. How the hell is a goalie going to stop that?
4: You can't. And remember, uh, uh, early in his career, the goalies were not wearing masks. Right. They were just there with, with nothing on their face at all.
2: I was at the stadium one night, and he, you know, except Friday, he used to get tickets, and he let one go from the blue line. Of course, all the idiots in there smoked. Right, so there was, mm-hmm. the division <laughs> sometimes wasn't the best. And they were playing Detroit. I remember Roger Crozier being the goalie. the The puck hit the back of the net. This is from in, just inside the blue line. The puck hit the back of the net before the guy reacted. <laughs> but he, you know, Maddie, he, in 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 very few sports, I mean, you're gonna he he was at the top of the gene pool. He was, in my opinion, he was almost the Will Chamberlain of hockey. He was the league's fastest skater, strongest player, and had the best shot—all in the same guy. And, and, as, and as much as Gretzky and other people were fundamentally better, and probably over their career maybe better players, there was there was nobody that when he went up the ice, guys would bounce off him, and he was like a man among boys. And uh, yeah, yeah and he was. And he had uh, you know, and from what I understand, the, the world's nicest man when he wasn't drinking, and maybe one of the world's worst guys when he was. And uh, yep. Yeah. And that's,
4: <laughs> and that's part of his legacy as well. And a lot yeah. of that was covered up for years and years and years. And that was another sign of the times. You know, uh, politicians like uh, John Kennedy or Lyndon Johnson or Eisenhower had, had a lot of their personal lives uh, kept quiet by, by the press and a lot of their athletes too. And he was another guy who, like you said, he was very congenial in the like life of the party when he wasn't drinking. But when he was drinking, he could turn pretty nasty, and you look at you look at his physical size.
2: And oh you know, if he got yeah. into
4: a bad mood, it would be very difficult to to keep him in, t- in track.
2: Um, he was at one point the pe- people felt there, the the two how can I say this? without being weird. The two best male bodies in the world, the natural male bodies in the world, <clears throat> were him and Muhammad Ali. I mean, yeah. it was it was he was absolutely a freak of nature. And before there were weight weight rooms and all the other stuff. I mean, he was a you know, he grew up on a farm, so he was he was farm boy strong. You know, he was one of those kind of guys that probably worked all day pitching hay and all that stuff. But you know, the, the man was was incredible. He was he was like Mickey mm-hmm. Mantle on, ra- on steroids, right? Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. I mean, just the strength that before you even had gyms and that kind of stuff. But the weird part is how people would cover when you say cover. I, I can't even imagine a guy that strong slapping anybody, much less a lady. You know, I know, but he would smack his wife, and she'd have a shiner. And where and she come to the games with a big thing of uh, a big sunglasses on, and all the other mm-hmm. all the other wives would cover for. Her, they'd wear sunglasses too and make it look like it was a fashion statement. Yeah. I mean, I mean can you imagine? But you know, I it was a uh, he had what two or three wives. I don't know if he ever got along with the kid. But there's a guy who gets who gets absolutely no uh, press whatsoever, and was one of the best goal scorers ever. His kid, Brett Hall. Yeah. He, he because he yeah, played
4: you know one career too, and he and he he, um, he scored over fifty goals one time too. So oh, I many! Times. The only tandem, father son tandem, ever to score that many goals.
2: But it, the interesting part is, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, I mean, right now you look at basketball players, and and Maddie could give us a rundown <laughs> here from his memory. I'm sure, Maddie, how many draft picks does Oklahoma have? Because people, the Oklahoma Thunder, because people didn't want to play there and have left. They've got like. How many number one draft picks in the next ten years? Like twelve or something? Yeah,
3: they've already used a, a couple, and they have a, a bunch more. <laughs> yeah, they they're kind of set up in that regard.
2: But everybody looks like, uh, you know, especially <clears throat> the black athletes. You know, going back to Jabbar or Llewellyn Cinder, nobody wanted to play in Milwaukee because you, you weren't on TV as much. If you weren't in L.A., if you weren't in the Garden, I mean, or bought, in one of the two Gardens or in L.A., I mean, you you mm-hmm. were you were in the you know you were in the Greyhound bus of of the NBA. You didn't want to play in Kansas City, Omaha. I mean, nobody knows who Bob Lanier was playing for Detroit. I and mean, very few people know who else Nate Archibald was playing for Kansas City. But if they were playing in New York, they'd they'd be household words. The N- the NHL was w- even way worse than that. I mean, if you weren't in a, in the, if you weren't one of the six teams, if you weren't Boston or New York, Chicago, Detroit, but wh- the two Canadian teams, Toronto and Montreal, got all the like well. pre- they got all the hockey press. And when when uh, and Brett Hall played for St. Louis. Nobody cared. Nobody gave a rat's ass about the guy. He was in St. Louis, right, Brendan? And when mm-hmm. Bobby Hall right. went up to Winnipeg, where the hell's Winnipeg? If he weren't some Canadian, who the hell even knows where it is? The, guy, mm-hmm. the man was never on TV after he left the Hawks, right? Right. And we used to, speaking on TV, none of the home games were on TV. No, yeah.
4: but that was that was part of the worst yeah. mistake that he didn't want to delete the product at the Chicago Stadium by putting the games on TV. He didn't understand all the you know the ability to generate more interest in the in the team he was in short-term he wanted to fill the stadium not realized that if he really built a strong team with guys like Nikita and Hall and Esposito that people would fly to the, to the stadium and try to take ticket prices up even higher
2: well and, and I'll tell you what it was the hardest ticket to get yeah it was My stepfather used to get one once in a while we'd be on the second balcony you had to walk to the second balcony. We're not talking about escalators, not about elevators, nothing like that. <laughs> we're talking about a, a stair, and you had to walk up there and the stand. We used to have uh, serious, uh, you know, we'd go up and we'd have standing room. And There was one end, Brendan, I think it was by the organ, where it was a big long bench. And there were people that had standing room that would get there at like four thirty, and I don't know when the place would open, say five, if you could when and start drinking already. They would go up there and they they had the, the seats on the bench. Never had a stand for like a decade. Because they were there all the time, mm-hmm. and we stood behind them one night, and we we're like, "Man, we should just get here a little early." <laughs> but I mean, it was <laughs> the place was all smoky. It was just, but here, <clears throat> talk about everybody talks about Lou Brock, and you can you can talk about um, trades in Chicago, the worst trades, and I'm going to say, regardless. I mean, I was you know, a hockey fan back then. We used to go in Notre Dame. There was a bar that that got the close the, the the feed from Chicago, the grainy black and white feed, and every time the Hawks were on. Uh, and a on away game that was on, we'd go down to this bar and watch him. And uh but I'm here to talking about Maddie, you can all your friends <clears throat> they can talk about crummy trades. This is the worst trade ever in the history of Chicago. On May fifteenth, nineteen sixty seven, the then Blackhawks traded forward. Now get a load of this. Phyllis Esposito, Ken Hodge, and Fred Stanfield. Esposito became a huge Hall of Famer. Ken Hodge was a spectacular player. and Fred Stanfield was a a scale of one to ten, he was what, a seven and a half center. Those three guys were the were the, other than Holland Makita to the Bruins for defenseman, Gilles Morat, marginal, center Pitt Martin, halfway decent, goalie Jack Norris, nobody who the hill he was. And didn't uh Pitt Martin kill himself by living in some island in Canada and driving a snowmobile over the ice and it was it had melted and he fell in when he was drunk. Yeah, tonight?
4: well it didn't melt. that well, it was it was thin ice.
2: <laughs> yeah. And he was—he was he, smashed, yeah. he was overserved, and said, I'll, "I can make it one in the water." Yeah, I mean, um, that had to be the worst trade. <clears throat> that set the Bruins up for what a decade.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes, it did.
2: Um. Anyway, so yeah. mar- market I got a market question for you, uh, Brennan, and then we have we got we talk about other stuff. Uh, I have, uh, as you know, I mean, I manage money for a lot of people in different areas, and they have a lot of stuff that I don't manage <clears throat> that I talk to them about. And uh, a lot of people have what they call conviction stocks and, you know, stocks they're going to live forever with. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a tough call. I mean, uh, it's not like I want to disparage any companies. I'm not telling anybody to sell anything. But if you go back in in my era, well, actually before my era, the uh, what was it, the Nifty 50, Brennan? Was it the Morgan Stanley Nifty 50? The stocks mm-hmm. that were going to be for the next two generations, the stocks you wanted to own, stuff like Polaroid and Kodak and everything. If you own those things, I'm going to say, if if I ever get a list of them, I'll bet there's probably 40 of mine that people don't even recognize. You know, and we've had, again, this is not any kind of a uh, telling people what the hell to do with their stock. But we've seen Tesla, we've seen uh, NVIDIA, we've seen Amazon, we've seen Apple to a certain extent, but not as much. Uh, Even this piece of crap, Facebook, or Meta, uh, what's turned into one it appears. And uh this stuff is down tremendous percentages and in the last month some of them are back up fifteen percent, eighteen percent. And <clears throat> Brennan and I don't see not one iota, not one hint of somebody saying thank God it's back up let's protect it here or let's lighten up or like anything. It's the it's vindication. It's going right back to where it was, it's going to all time highs. It has n- there's no chance that somebody I'll, I'll pick this Amazon. I'll throw it up here on the chart. I'll just use that as an example because it's an A thing traded down to what eighty five. Now it's back up to ninety nine ninety. I haven't heard one peep of wow. Let's <laughs> let's protect it here. Let's do something. What, what, what is what is what is? Uh, I'm not going to say what's wrong with people, but what is this mentality, Brennan? Why do people think like they that they they owe these companies something that they they like the most? They think they owe the chairman. Or, this is just a stock. They don't care about you. You shouldn't care about them. It's an investment.
4: Well, that's true. But it, it's part of the psychology of, of trading. But it's also the psychology
2: Not trading. Of Not trading. <laughs> yeah. Trading. Trading.
4: Of owning the stock and, and the belief in the company that it's going to be done very well. I mean, you're right. I mean, go back years to things like Sears. Sears was golden. You know, and everybody wanted Sears stock, everybody wanted IBM stock. Um, because and you're right that there should not be loyalty to the company because the company is not loyal to the shareholders, um, but it's it's a mystique.
2: Well, what do you what do you make of a sort of a, a legal sort of thing and, top, and I won't say legal, but I'll, no, I did say legal, but somewhat of a fiduciary thing. What do you make of this Chevron controversy where they're going to buy all this stock back? And uh, I mean, I, well, first of all, back when you talked about people wanting. Uh, Sears or AT and T and things like that. It was illegal in those days to buy stock back. I think you could do it mm-hmm. for. Uh, I think you could do it. Like telephone always had a uh, dividend reinvestment programmers. I think you could buy stock back for something like that. I don't think you could just buy it back to goose the price. But shareholders, at the very least, now, Brendan. You know, I, I'm going I'm to give an opinion here. This isn't a, a fact. It's an opinion. I only think it's pretty close to the truth. Uh, <clears throat> the idea of Whole, uh, this whole concept of, of, of bonus, of stock options, which, by the way, were a good idea to start with, but, of course, everything gets everything gets uh, soiled, shall we say. As a, the idea of giving a, an executive stock options versus just giving them quarterly bonus uh, was, was really a good idea, I think, because just giving somebody quarterly bonuses, people just manage for the quarter. So yeah. the idea of making the executive... Part of the mani- or the uh, ownership class, so he should think more like an owner. Uh, you couldn't argue with that. We did a lot of that in grad school. You know, when we yeah. a, lot the, a lot of the research was done when I was in school. No, I didn't do it, but I mean, it, we certainly had tests on it and learned about it. But this whole concept of we're going to get ninety bazillion dollars and we're going to give all these upper managers stock options. So the thought of paying a dividend is like you know a stink bomb in church. Uh, that we're gonna we're gonna use the seventy five billion dollars to pump up the stock price. We're gonna sell ours and then the hell with everybody else. I mean, wh- wh- how do people even buy this concept? Or uh, and Brandon, and what, I mean, I mean showers have no power now. They have zero power. We we get that. But uh, what what is matter of fact? Who was uh, who was the what was the other night? I was with somebody. They were talking about uh, Bill, not Bill Gates. Uh, actually, it wasn't just somebody. It was uh, Audrey. Was telling me uh, Elon Musk said the two most powerful people in the world now are, are a couple of these places now, where the mutual funds and a lot of the big other funds, uh, you know, like your teachers' funds and stuff, use these two firms to to del- tell them how to vote on shareholder issues, and how these two firms are like consulting firm and they tell people how to vote and and it, I mean uh, the idea that the management class is going to spend seventy five billion dollars to buy stock back so they can get they can make money on their stock options rather than paying a dividend to me is it's so unconscionable. I can't even go there. But I've talked too much. You tell me. What do you think? Or am I just me? And it those? is a
4: point. It, it, it's a point, and you're right. It's a bastardization of, of the real purpose. Incentivization to make the company better is it, you know, it was originally part of the goal of some of, of these uh, these programs. But then it gets bastardized so that uh, it, it really becomes more about those who get the stock options to make the company look better. At a time when they can maximize and, and sell their stock options and cash in on their stock options at a time when it looks good, without you know thinking about what's what's overall good for the country or even even the company long term, and you know like so many other things, good ideas get uh, get transformed over time to something that's really really bad. You know, for example, one of the other things that's, that's in in the news a lot lately are yeah, non disclosure agreements. There are legitimate reasons for non-disclosure agreements, but that also has been bastardized to the point where they're they're punitive in nature. You know, a guy who works for Jimmy John's, driving uh, driving delivery service or on a bike, uh, has to sign a non-compete clause, a non-disclosure clause, because of, of whatever happens uh, in his employment, and because of that, uh, he can't go to uh, to Subway or someplace else to to do the same kind of work. Um, it, yeah, I, I think your, your original question about the stock options and are among the same things. It was a good idea for a limited period of time, but it gets uh, it gets changed into something that is unworkable and unrealistic.
2: Well, why did why do you think the law changed in eighty two? This wasn't a law. It was a SEC decided to allow allow stock repurchases. No, whose idea was that, and why has not somebody repealed it?
4: Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't remember that.
2: I just, uh, I mean, the one way of, I mean, I looked at, you know, the COVID situation. Now, how the hell, what is, how does this guy bring COVID into the conversation? Well, those of us who remember 9-11, which is most of us, the airlines were in, were in uh, well they were in deep doo-doo in what, a month? Because I mean, mm-hmm. they couldn't fly for how many, a couple of weeks or whatever. So you ask yourself, self, right, United Airlines has been in business for, at the time, like 65 years. And they're they're a friggin monopoly for God's sake, or, or a cartel. They charge pretty much well; it's somewhat competitive, I guess. But they 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 have all they have all the chips in there, and they're on their side of the table, meaning landing landing slots and gates and everything else. How the hell can somebody be in business sixty five years and have a problem for three weeks and be basically out of business? I mean, where where mm-hmm. was the planning? Where is anything? It does that make sense? Okay. Not, <coughs> then all of a sudden, we we somehow bail them out of that, or they come back. Now, you, you run into COVID. And then the, the 10 years before COVID I I, I don't have the analysis of but I actually went back through their through their earnings for the last 10 years before COVID and they had the best 10 years of like ever and uh I think Brendan they spent damn near every dime buying stock back of well, that they that they an the, the income now income to an airline and I'm not a, a genius accountant I was okay at the time but it was a long time ago you got to look at a cash flow in airlines because their their depreciation load and all that stuff are dramatic so it's not it's not the in earnings they put out it's the cash the cash positive correct on airlines right. well anyway and over an entire period of time you would think if you're making you know billion two billion dollars a year whatever the hell they were making somewhere along the line you would every single plane wouldn't be leased that you actually would show up at Boeing right. with a check mm-hmm. now if you were a shareholder wouldn't you rather One that didn't When they were buying a stock back One that didn't bail Wouldn't you rather That they actually owned 10% of their fleet? W- wouldn't you think yes, would you think That they Would have been Way better situation in COVID They still would have been hurt Right? No matter who you were You'd be hurt But to that extent I mean
4: They but, don't own uh, anything I agree I mean I, I, I agree And it, it, it is a dramatic shift Of, of ownership of, of corporations And how Who gets the rewards you know, is, uh, are you there mainly to, is your sole purpose to give, uh, to, to generate stock value for the shareholders or to really run a business that is uh, fair, where you get a fair return uh, to both the shareholders and to the management, um, but also provide a decent service that is not subject to the variations of things like COVID or 9 11 or anything else or oil embargo?
2: We know if you really want to, if you get into a, discussion, which I'm sure you do, uh, you're not hanging around in bars, Brennan, but if you were, you get into discussions with people and, <clears throat> and one thing, you can always nail somebody right between the eyes and say, well, you know, you got to be getting profit for this, I said name, name me why this place even operates what, what do you, how do you even define profit? and they look at you like you have four eyes and uh, mm-hmm. I say, take a look at take a look at Notre Dame my alma mater, and to a certain extent I love parts of it, but other parts I'm not, not so sure about that uh, it runs exactly like a business, greasing people's palms along the way. The only problem is there's no shareholders. What's the difference? Do you think Commonwealth mm-hmm. Edison would would act any differently if they, had, if they didn't have shareholders? They don't care about shareholders. Do you think people run the place even to the extent that maybe they own some stock, but I think the management class of IBM actually cares about the shareholders? I mean, to the extent no, that they have they some... Don't they have a bunch of stock options. They, they care about the share price, which is which is different, but it's not the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you go for a... Uh, you don't like to capitulate. I would almost say, if I was on a board, of course, that's why I would never be on one, that if management and other people, board members, which of course are right in the same boat, if they have a whole bunch of stock options, I would say that they should get a piece of a declared dividend. Now, you don't if you have a a listed stock option but for management I mean, it's so clear, Brendan, if a stock's 90 and, you're, and your strike price is 95, would you rather buy stock at 100 or would you rather pay a 5 hour dividend in which case it opens up at 85 hours? Duh! Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, duh! <laughs> I, mean, I, I think that somehow unless you have a, can just throw all these people out or change the rule, I think you have to let them participate in the, in the dividend
6: Mm-hmm
2: very interesting theory. Very interesting theory. I mean, not 100%, but some sort of formula. Because mm-hmm. clearly, if your strike price is 95 and the stock's at $90, i will back up a second. If, it's, if a stock is at $90 and they send you a five-hour dividend, the stock will, quote, open. It can open anywhere it wants. But the, the equivalent price the next day is 85 hours Because mm-hmm. the company is worth what it was, Minus the five hour check you're getting, correct? Right. So if if you have a, have a strike price of ninety five, you're sitting there going, Well that was cool. <laughs> how am I ever how are we ever <laughs> gonna get to ninety five? You know, so uh you know so I, I I think that if you're gonna continue doing the things you're doing now mm-hmm. to, in order to make it even, I think mm-hmm. you need to that's one thing I would do, Brendan, and I would also dou- I would stop the double taxation. I would I would say make dividends deductible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to do that because it would it would take management's power away from them.
4: Yeah, and you don't want to do that.
2: No. So what uh, <laughs> well, do you like, in, uh what do you think of the games real quick? What do you think of the officiating?
4: It was really amazing how many chances was Kansas City going to get.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that
4: guy <laughs> did. The,
2: did you see the the, uh,
4: the... the end of the game, that, that push out of bounds was... The right call. It was a dumb play by by Osai to to push uh, Mahomes, Uh, but that was the difference in the game, or at least that was the difference in the outcome and overtime. Because I don't think that he would have made the field goal had it not been for that extra fifteen yards. Well,
2: did both of you guys see the the what was what was the big the big shot they used, Manny? Where they actually did show the referee. was it the back judge running on the field to call time? Oh off? yeah, running on the field. <coughs> Why did he do that? Was there something about it? Was there the, something wrong with the clock, or the clock wasn't running right? Right.
3: I think that was it. I was, I was at. A, I think it was it. Yeah, there was something with the clock either
2: didn't start right, or there was something with
3: the clock. Yeah, I was at an establishment, so I missed uh, some of the nuance.
2: Um, a coffee shop.
3: Yes, of course. Yeah, a library inside a library.
2: Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> God, Bren, Brennan, thank you very much, buddy. SP features down ten. Nancy features down forty-seven. Be right back, Mr. Joel and Cannon.
0: Fleming turns, ragging the puck, killing valuable time, and Hull finally picks it up. Now then, Bobby Hull from his own blue line, the Golden Jet driving at center in on the Ranger defense, getting sad. he may pass or shoot, he drives one, Good! And the crowd goes wild here in Chicago. Bobby Hull has broken the all-time scoring record of 50. 50- single season, and the crowd are going crazy. The ice is being completely littered with hats and popcorn and papers and rubbers and shoes. A blistering drive by number nine, Bobby Hull, who now is being congratulated by all his teammates on the far side. If you saw that one, you saw hockey history in the making. You may never ever see that again in your lifetime. Bobby Hull scoring 50
1: how much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com/jocks.
7: Innovation in Human Resources, licensed in Illinois and Arizona.
2: Stocks, jocks,
0: stocks and jocks. You are out of control.
2: Right now, right here, right now. Right now. 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 to everybody. Saxby I'm Tom Howell. I'm at Weber on the board. SP futures down nine. We're creeping back up here. Isaac, futures down forty-five. We were down yesterday. We were. Up last night a little bit, and then we were down this morning. And we're trying to work our way back here, or at least making an effort at it. Uh, Dow futures down 128 again. We got Caterpillar, is down now seven dollars, which is almost three percent. They had earnings. But we also had McDonald's earnings, which were good. They're up 491. That's a 1.8 percent. So we got United Health up, and the, the Dow. The rest of the stuff. Uh, um, pretty much, actually, McDonald's is down 41. I'm sorry, even though they came out with great uh, great earnings. I mean, it's not, it's not enough that these earnings plays are getting very hard to do because they don't like a lot of these stocks, even if they come out with good stuff. Uh, very strange. So, the Dow Futures down 131. Uh, over in Europe, the DAX down 75.5%, FTSE down 56.7%. They were flat yesterday where the other guys were down a little bit. McCacaron down twenty-nine point two four percent so down over in Europe, and but not, not horrible. In Asia, we've got uh, Nikkei on 106.4%. Hang Seng down 227. That's another 1%. That's 2.5%, uh, 3% in two days there in Hang Seng. But there's still 21,842. Shanghai down 14. That's 0.4%. Yesterday is a way of review. Dow down 261. S&P down 52. Nasdaq down 227. A lot of stocks that have been up the last week or two get back, back down a little bit. We're still still pretty far up on the month. Uh, Bonds uh, down 3 basis points, 352 Bund down one basis point, two point two nine. Japan up two basis points to point four nine three, so almost pushing the point five zero top they're supposedly have. Uh, oil down eighty six cents, seventy seven oh four. It was eighty two dollars like four days ago, so big drop in oil prices. rent down seventy six cents, eighty four fourteen. Natural gas down five cents, two sixty two. You get your gas bill, man. You just keep thinking that two sixty two, way below where it was the start of the year. Arbab down two cents, two forty seven. We've got gold. Down 20 bucks, 1902. Everything's falling apart these last few days. Still 1902 above 1900. Silver down 59 cents. That's a big move, 2.5%, 2313. Uh, copper down 6 cents, 413. So, evidently, the recession idea must be grabbing hold. However, Bitcoin up at 183, 22,882. And last but not least, the US dollar is up today, which you can guess with the uh, gold down. Uh, Euros uh, down 19 basis points. Still like at 108 still 123, so not really much movement, just flying around those two numbers. Long story there, Matty. What do you got for us, Travis Weather Sports?
3: 37 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. We have one crash in the area right now, and that's on the Eisenhower outbound side, uh, right before US 20, uh, which is York Road exit 12. We have a crash blocking the two left lanes that's causing uh, stop-and-go traffic if you're heading outbound on I-290 out toward the western suburbs. That's our only issue right now, coming in on the Edens and Kennedy, all quiet. Inbound Ike looking okay. Traffic starting to build on the Stevenson, but no to report. Same for the rest of the Southside Expressways. Weather today, a uh, cold and uh, blustery day. We'll have uh, wind chills below zero for most of the day, a high of 12. Right now it is clear and 4 degrees downtown with a wind chill of negative 12. For our Phoenix listeners, uh, rain in the forecast today. in a high of 60. Right now it's mostly clear and 46. In sports, Bulls were off last night. They'll welcome the L.A. Clippers into town tonight for a 7 p.m. tip-off at the United Center. Suns beat the Raptors 114-102. to Blackhawks and Coyotes were both off. And as we talked about uh, to kick off the show, uh, legendary Blackhawks uh, player Bobby Hull passed away yesterday. He was 84. Chief.
2: Do we have Mr. Joel? We do. Joel, how are you, buddy? Good,
5: Chief. How you doing
2: on this Tuesday morning? I'm doing all right. It's... it's it's chilly but it's doable for uh... winter time it's not uh, you know we'll, we'll get through it
5: yeah i remember those uh... that chill coming off lake Michigan when uh... uh... in the winter in chicago well those winds can kick up but uh... uh... not we, we're, we're surviving here okay earnings season's rolling around uh... been some surprises not surprises really some mixed reactions across the board i guess uh... I heard you
2: talking in the preview of everyone's waiting for the big, bad recession. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I think, you know, with, then again, you get to def- everybody gets to define a recession uh, their own way now. I listened to the, it was a big topic of conversation yesterday on CNBC, and every single person, one guy goes, there's not going to be a recession. With I think this, the job market's too strong for a recession, so there's no recession. So we've lost all... All, all, we've you know, we're in, a, we're in a world of moral relativism. We're also in a world now of any kind of relativism. No, I don't think there's recessions, or isn't one? So there.
5: Yeah, I mean the inflation, recession, I mean, I, uh, you know, certainly, you know, the Fed did their best to uh to slow things down. I mean, you're seeing some evidence in in some areas, but uh not in other areas, so you know, right now just getting through, uh you know, Q four earnings season, uh obviously the Fed meeting today, uh, and tomorrow with the rate decision tomorrow is gonna be a quarter point jobs number on Friday. Um it's uh, you know, so let's just hope that the old saying, you know, so goes January, uh so goes the market. Uh so so far, you know, depending on what happens today, it still looks like it's gonna be a pretty good January.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, coming up a you know, really bad last couple of months, but still, a pretty good January. And I think some of the stuff, uh, I think some of the tax selling, I don't usually even talk about that, Joel, but I think it was certainly from the areas that I i do business with. We did more of it for people this year, uh, or people, uh, than we ever have. When I, when I say we did I, did, I don't do tax work for people, but uh, people needed to sell stuff for tax reasons more than I can ever remember. So there was a little bit of that, you know. I don't, I don't know how... There was a lot of it. Yeah.
5: There was a lot of it. And, and uh, you know, last year's losers, uh, it took a couple of days. It depends what you were in. Some a little bit before the uh, the end of the year. or Something like Tesla been at bottom until two or three days into the trading year. Uh, but if you would have been, you know, very disciplined on, you know, and, you know, the true tenets of the January effect, um, it, it worked out well uh, that... But that's in the past now. What you have to focus on is, you know, where we're going from here. Uh, uh, Friday, you know, it looks like we, uh, you know, maybe have hit a short-term top here. Uh, The thing that concerns me the most about the market is we're kind of set up like we were in December, right? We had the rally. Uh, It did get into the 4,100 handle uh, after the uh, November CPI. The market had a good reaction but then the fed came down and just talked the market down and uh, um, you know with the market rallying and everything I'm just uh I'm just a little cautious that uh, even with the even if they only go a quarter point they're just you know they're still gonna you know have that hawkish tone and if you get that hawkish tone again then boom we're right back to 3800 uh, you know where we bought them in December
2: I, uh, I have real, real concerns uh, Joel netnet not so much the Fed policy. I actually think the Fed is uh, is doing what they can do. I mean, they they uh-huh. were they were talked into doing something I think totally bizarre during the COVID thing, and we still haven't worked that that all the way through the system. I mean, you start bulging, you start bulging thirty thirty five percent money supply. But I'm I'm stunned that you can have thirty guys in a row or ladies on TV talking about inflation and all kinds of crappy stuff, and not one of them will mention the money supply. I mean, when, and everybody knows that, that inflation is a monetary phenomenon. It's all it is. I mean, I mean you can say all you want about supply chain and this and that, and, but whatever you say, it, it is a monetary phenomenon. I, I mean, I, you, I mean it's, you, you can teach a whole generation something different, but the fact is it's a mon- monetary phenomenon. And, and the Fed is, is gradually pulling back on what they did to amazing excess and you know you can say they did a good job but the simple fact is Joel they put more money in the system in, in like 18 months percentage wise than yeah. what we did during the entire Civil War for God's sake
5: I, I will hardly uh, yeah. agree with you on that I think you know you, uh, the course of the economy uh, the global markets um, you know maybe they would have started bumping rates up in 20 you know easing them up uh, but you know they were confronted with the situation and they had to do the exact opposite. And I think you just, I think even if you look at equilibrium in the market, you look at equilibrium in interest rates, I think that it's going to take a while to, you know, we had, we had supply chain worries, right? And now yep. you know, natural gas is what? Three bucks, you know? Um, a lot of things, a lot of accesses worked out, the technology companies. Um, overexpanded, uh, now they're, you know, not everyone's going to do everything on the computer all the time, so now they're having to peel back. Uh, so I, I think I, just, I think that's a good way to, to put it. It's just uh, you know, getting back to an equilibrium in the markets and the supply chains and uh, I think it's going to take a long time to do. The
2: only thing I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned about, Joel, as I talk to people, as, as we're doing our yearly reviews with clients, you talk to people, I mean, you know, four and five people a day, so it's january can be a little tedious in that regard even though i like talking to everybody it's th- 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 <laughs> this this mentality that i just I mean, I'll, i'm gonna ask your opinion this mentality that these stocks that are now hundred bucks that used to be like 300 as soon as the fed straightens himself out we're going to go back to yeah. one one percent interest yeah. and they're going to go back to 300 you know what? i i can't say yeah. that that's not going to happen joel but I tell you what, it's not going to happen. <laughs> I I don't, I don't see I, that. I don't I, see that in the I, future I at all.
5: I couldn't be where really It's like it's Joel Chief Agreement Day because um, those are excesses uh, for whatever reasons, and um, I don't want to say never, but you know these stocks can make some substantial comebacks. But uh, I think if it, you know if anybody that's a student of the markets over. Uh, a long course of history we'll see that uh you know tulips didn't get back to those prices uh a lot of other things today yeah. it's just it's, it's what history tells us and uh uh you know the market's made people you know overly optimistic for, for a long time but yeah
2: um i think they can I still come back agree but with this, you on that. I they can still come back but but not not to those levels i don't not think it lasts for a Anyway, Joel, take care of yourself. Bye, Go Blue. Yep, no sports today. We'll yeah. talk
6: sports next week,
3: okay? Yep,
2: SPV is down 8 and SPV is down 42. Come back a little bit. Be right back.
3: Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain?
0: Three four five six, that's seven oh eight three four nine three four five six, or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com.
3: Interested in promoting your business to a high end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on stocks and jocks. With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at Stocks. Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. You are out of control. Right here. Right
2: now. Right here. Right now.
0: Right now.
2: Well North Bay Station Jack, time out I'm time out, Matt Weber. On the board, and P Futures down seven, as is down thirty, like I said, we're creeping back, creeping. We were up last night, now we we were down this morning uh, by maybe double this, and now we're coming back. Just as Kenny Polkary enters the room, the market is railing a little bit. Just saying. Not That's a coincidence. Is that a causal effect, Kenny? Oh, are you, sir?
6: No, oh, there's no causal effect. We're hearing from you know the range of S and P companies that are due today. You saw General Motors beat. They beat big. They took a big stake in a Lithium, a 9.9 percent stake in Lithium Americas because they want to make sure that they have supply to uh, increase uh, the number of electric vehicles that they plan to make. That's actually positive news. Both stocks are up. Lithium Americas up about nine percent. Uh, LAC is that symbol? You know, it trades uh, it trades in the public market, so you know people can people can jump in there and find it. But look, I think that, you know, there's going to be this push and pull, this tug of war, and I said it in my notes today, you know, is it is it raise, pause, and pivot? Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's raise, no pause, and no pivot. There are others that think, you know, they're going to raise and then pause and pivot fairly soon. I think that's a little bit ahead of itself, but I think that's what the market is struggling to kind of figure out.
2: What, uh, when we talk about a, a pivot, I'm just doing, you know, somewhat uh, monetary theory here and trying to Stretch this out a little, Kenny. If if they do a quarter point tomorrow, that, that puts them where four seventy five.
6: That puts them uh, that puts them right now. We're at four fifty four seventy five. So if they do no, right now we're at four twenty five four fifty. That's going to put them yeah. four fifty four seventy five. Right, oh, so that's going to be the range. Right, right
2: so I'm going to say they either they either stop there or maybe go another twenty five, and then if. If if people recognize that we're in a recession, I'm going to say we already are. I think we already have been for a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'm going to say the, the the rate going forward is going to be like four and a quarter for like a f- few years, and people are going to have to get used to it. Or maybe four. It's the idea that we're going back to one, and you're. And Your Amazon's going back to three hundred. I think you got to put that one on the on the back burner. And,
6: no, I, uh, I don't think anyone. Listen, if anyone thinks that rates going back to zero or one percent, I think they need the heads examined. But I also don't think that four percent or four and a half percent is the number either. I think the Fed's been very clear. The majority of the team has said to us that they want to get somewhere between five, five and a quarter. Most of them saying five and a quarter, and there are some. Jimmy Bullitt and Neil Kashner. I think it's going to be five and a half.
2: No, I'm talking about so when it, it, I think it's, when it's all when it's all said and, and done.
6: They're I'm, going to take it to five five and a quarter. That's what I think. I'm doing. saying
2: what, 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 I, I, I stumbled. I, I, what I'm trying to ask you is when it, when it's all said and done, and and the inflation you know is put away to some extent by somebody's definition, what do you think the equilibrium rate's going to be for the next ten years?
6: Okay, so, well, for the next ten years then I think it's gonna be somewhere around five percent. So whether it's seventy five, five percent. That's where I think it's gonna be. I
2: wasn't uh if you if you were to if you were to put a historical rate there, what would you put? I, I would say historical is like what, three and a half? Oh, you're talking about Fed funds rate? Is that yeah, I mean, yeah. is the Fed funds rate you uh, want to yeah, talk about? Yeah, so yeah.
6: historically I think it's three and a half or four, right? I think yeah. historically is where it is. But I gotta tell you I think we've been in this stimulating zero interest rate bond buying uh, atmosphere for 13 years. Oh, wow! Remember, now. it started during the crisis. It didn't. It wasn't just a COVID thing. They kept rates at zero since 2009. I w- so, I, w- I think that's going to be. Uh, this is not going to be over in you know 12 months or 15 months. I think the, the way out is going to be almost as long as the way in. So, I suspect over the next you know five to eight years. That it's going to be kind of this back and forth, which is why I think the rates are going to hover around four, four and three quarters, five percent, until they settle it down and get people used to the idea that money's not free, and nor should the stimulation be, you know, as generous as it was for all those years.
2: Kenny, I'm supposed to be the curmudgeon monetarist. So you're supposed to be the voice of reason, not the other way around.
6: <laughs> I think I am the voice of reason, but I don't want to listen. Am I happy about it? No. But look, let's be honest.
2: All right, we, we all
6: had 13 years of zero rates and lots of simulation and, and rising prices and everyone patting themselves on the back and look at how great I am. And now, when reality sets in and there are alternatives to stocks, i.e. whether it's three-month T-bills or two-year T-bills, if you want to talk, you can go to the bank and get four and three orders on a 12-month CD now. For a lot of people, that's going to be very interesting, especially if they're nervous oh, sure about uh, where the economy's going and what the Fed's next move is.
2: I, I have uh, many clients that we go to the the, uh, the auction every Monday for, especially people who maybe have sold a business or you got an inrush of cash. I, I I I I'm not in a position if somebody says, hey chief, I, I just sold my business for ten mil. What should I do it? I'm not going to say give it to me to put it in the market tomorrow. I mean, well, let's say let's agree. Leave, I mean, it's hey, you know what? By the way, if you're going to turn into the curmudgeon monetarist, uh, I think you need to wrap it back. Uh, before 2008 and really go back to 2000 because coming out of there for that 8 years between then and 2008 even though it really got crazy in 2008 we were pushing money supply 5 to 8% every one of those years if you go back to all the the increases in like uh, prescription drugs and hospital stuff that's absolutely burying our economy and, and burying our that you got to go back to there I mean Carl uh, he'll talk about it Friday I don't, I don't know if you have a chance to listen on Friday but you just sent out a, a thing that the amount of money there, the amount of money that the gov- now government is in now medicare uh i don't know if you know anybody on there but you look at a medicare bill they actually pay a reasonable amount compared to what other people pay at hospitals and so forth because they have all these negotiated rates but the the that part of social security the medicare part of social security i think i think that's they're they're taking in like one of every 4 hours they're paying out or something can't it's not even yeah it's not even on the on the planet of being in Social Security I think you could I think you could raise the tax by like a half of one percent and raise the, the, the retirement age by like a year and you're probably good to go for like two decades. I mean it's it's pretty close to being pay for itself. It's not right. but it's pretty close. The Medicare and Medicaid side Kenny, Kenny it's not even it's 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 like you and I are thinking we're going to be a jockey this afternoon or something. I and mean, it's like you know. I mean, it's we're not even close, right? I hear you. You know, and uh, so when we have, but all that stuff started in two thousand. So if you look at the real <laughs> right. real inflation, it's it's a twenty three year deal now it, at least. Really? It, it actually started, I think, Kenny, with uh, the Y two K money pouring in, and then all of a sudden, yeah. Well, you know, it
6: could have it could have started with the Y two K money, but remember, it didn't. It wasn't it didn't really get out of control until, you know, we had the complete collapse of the financial system in two thousand eight nine. Right. And then they had to come and they had to figure out how they're gonna how they were gonna fix it, how they were gonna stimulate the economy enough to prevent the complete global meltdown, which they did. It was at the time I completely supported that the central banks around the world had to do something. Oh, sure. Sure. Um, But, you know, I also am in the camp that, you know, when 2012-13 came, that they, as difficult as it was, that they needed to start to move, even though, you know, they kept saying, no, the economy's not ready. I think that was baloney. I think that was baloney. If they started very slowly then, I think we'd be in a very different place now. But they didn't. And now we are where we are, and it only added, you know, an additional five or six years of overstimulation uh, and there's still the huge uh, the the balance sheet is still huge, right? What eight point four trillion? Oh, yeah. They're not taking money out of the market the way out of the you know out of that. It's, they're not reducing their balance
2: sheet at it, rate. It, it's dribbling. It's dribbling.
6: It's dribbling. Correct. It's dribbling.
2: But but what does it do, Kenny? I mean, you and I, uh, I'll, I'll just go through. There's there, there, there's a there's a circleness to this. Is is when you I'll go back to a savings and loan example. You you and I remember. People had a mortgage at 6%. You brought in the check. They paid the passbook people three and a quarter. They paid the salaries. They paid for the building. They paid for the Little League uniforms. There's a circle to that, right? Well, when, yeah. the, when the Fed went out and, and started buying all these mortgages, they essentially put money in the system and, and took it out of the loop. Okay, so they, so they ended up getting this, this money. But if all of a sudden now they just take this money that people send in for your mortgage checks and it just disappears into the black hole, and doesn't come back out. You put a, a multiplier on that. That's that's a drain like we've never seen. Even if it's a little bit, you know, even even if it's even if it's ten, twenty billion dollars a month, which is what they're doing, or say thirty, that that multiplies out. That that's money that you send the check, and where is it? It, it didn't go to the local bar when we bought a drink, or did he ended up having to pay somebody else, somebody else, somebody else? It, if you just pull that out of the system every month, even though it needs to be done. And people don't understand the magnitude of what they did when they just poured it in, but coming out, it's it's like a black hole of death for the economy, isn't it? Even if it is yeah. forty billion a month.
6: Yeah, no, I, I think it is going to, and that's going and that's part of the problem, for right? me yeah. That's why I think it's going to take much longer to get out of it. People think, oh, this is just going to be over. I don't think it's going to be over. And That doesn't mean I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. but no. I have to be realistic, right? But, but how
2: does? How does let me ask you? We don't well, a couple of minutes, but I'm going to ask you. How, how does the stuff that gets entrenched? I mean, roll with me for a second and say it's say it's two thousand. Say it started. And I'm going to say, God, I should you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm peeing out of the mouth here, but I'm going to say that a that a hospital stay at a major hospital in two thousand, Kenny, what six hundred dollars a night? Now it's eleven grand. Yeah. Eleven yeah. grand. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so probably. I'm saying. There's, there's nothing in the in the feds. That's why, that's why, in my opinion, they can't make horrible mistakes because what would have to happen for that number to come down even from ten thousand to eight thousand? Now, I don't. Where would interest rates have to go? Fifty? I mean, the the stuff has become so entrenched. When you have combinations and cartels and monopolies in the the society, what is it going to take? I mean, you've seen in the last twelve weeks natural gas go from. what eight dollars to two dollars, and I'm going to say right. that you're if you lived in a suburb of Chicago, you're still paying three times more than you did last year, and it's not coming down. So yeah,
6: I, no, I, I agree because be, and that's but you see that's the problem That that is entrenched, yeah. which is why Powell is not backing down, why not, um, why he's not you know going into this well, buying into this pause and pivot because he's concerned about it being entrenched. It is becoming entrenched. And the only way to do that is to hold rates higher for longer, which he said he's going to do. The ECB has also said she's going to do it. We'll hear more of that on on Friday. And the Bank of England, I'm sure, is going to do it. We're going to hear more of that on Thursday as well. I don't mean Friday, Thursday. And uh, But that's the position that they're all in, right, is that they're going to have to be more hawkish than the market wants and more hawkish than the traders want. They can stamp their feet all they want, but it's not going to change the narrative in my opinion.
2: Well, I I agree. I just don't know how you're going to... How are you going to beat up on these hospitals and these these, uh, prescription drug companies to bring things back to where it was three years ago? I don't think that happens, Kenny.
6: Well, you know, talk to Joey Biden. He's bringing the cost of medications down, right? That's what they're doing. The Exhibition Reduction Act is going to solve all those problems.
2: Kenny, you're you're not old, but you're not 25. Every single politician that you've seen run for any office, left or right, in the last 30 years is going to lower prescription drug prices, and every year they go up. Agreed. It's, like, it's
6: ridiculous. It's like taxes. It's ridiculous, and, and now jo- Joe Biden says he's absolutely not negotiating any of the spending bill with the, with the yeah. Republicans now that we're at the debt ceiling,
2: which I think is below. We, we got a dash. it right? this is a, as a final shot, have you seen some of the these new cancer drugs and what they're trying to charge people? Yeah. Like, Can like I say something?
6: <laughs> I have. I I, well, I, have, I was diagnosed with cancer a year ago. Right. I've been go- undergoing monthly every three weeks of Keytruda, which is that new Merck immunotherapy drug, I had no idea. That drug is $15,000 every time I go, and i got to go once every three weeks, right? I'm coming to the end of it. i get got two more treatments. But think about that. $15,000 for a 30-minute infusion of this drug by Merck. It's Keytruda. You see it advertised all over the TV. It's out of control, and that's just me, and I've got you know only one form of cancer. I can't imagine what it is for other
2: people. Well, Kenny, if Manny if Weber had to go down to the Amazon... And wrestle a crocodile and pull his molar to get the ingredients for that drug. Uh, maybe it's worth fifteen thousand, but just to give somebody a patent for seventeen years and say charge whatever you damn well please. How right, do we, how can correct. we do that? I mean, if if it costs them somewhere along the line, how much? What does it cost to make? And if the answer is one grand, okay, or five hundred, really, you need thirty times margin on this thing. Then well, the, then exactly right. And so
6: that has that. I agree. I agree with you. It does have to change. Even though I'm the recipient of of that research, and I'm grateful that it's there, but at some point, it's, it's ridiculous, right? The rates are just out of control.
2: Well, those guys spent on a happier type of drug. Those guys probably spent in the last year they had a patent a hundred times more on, on advertising Viagra than they ever did to make the stuff in the first place. Yeah, yeah. really? I mean, for fifty bucks a pill because they could. Now, now it's right. what we'll four. The Viagra is
6: a very right. popular drug, so they're going to with
2: it. Well, but now, but now, but they they had a patent for nineteen years, Kenny. Nineteen, and they, and oh, after, yeah. now now it's four bucks. People advertise. Yeah, I mean, it, it's somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Seventeen year patent seems like a long time these days, Kenny. Thank you very much, buddy, for hanging over for a couple of minutes. let yeah, is only down no four, fun. and as yeah. if you're twenty eight. By the way, good luck with that. Uh, hopefully, it's all over. One more one more treatment, and you're done, bud. Like forever, and you make it to one hundred and ten. Uh, We'll be right back, Stacks and Jacks. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold. The idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at ptisecurities.com, that's PTIsecurities.com.
0: Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the
2: air. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are-
0: Right
4: here right now right here
2: right now, right now. there's something happening here but what it is we're on a section jack Tom mom we're on the board is down 5 is down 34 do we have uh do we have the professor hey tom how you doing I'm doing all right, bud. How about you? I'm doing well. Uh, the
8: second week of uh, last, finished last week, and things are kind of settling in. My uh, schedule's crazy. And I made it, but uh, it's crazy.
2: <laughs> well, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, but you guys lucked out. You were 50 degrees the other day during the games, and we were, well, at least Philadelphia was, and we were uh, ten, well, 10. Sunday was...
8: Sunny was still pretty cold but yesterday I took my big parka to work in the morning and uh know I'll tell you when I was riding subway home it was pretty hot Is it's a big parka <laughs> uh
2: I had a oh god I had, I had a subway experience one night I got sent out by the CBOE to uh uh we, went, we had to go to a world had, had to go to a world series game right? <laughs> it was a I was chairman of a marketing committee so we went back in old Yankee Stadium the uh Sky, the sky boxes, which weren't really sky boxes, uh, were behind the grandstand. They were behind the seats, I mean, you weren't you didn't hang off the top upper level or anything like that. So you really couldn't see very much. They had the nice TVs and the, you know, the good chow and the good booze, and all you did was talk to people and watch it on TV. But you were in Yankee Stadium, right? So it was <laughs> it was hotter than hinges of hell that night. So you know, it was air conditioning there, which was nice. But so I, I take the subway back. I don't know all the big shots had cars and so forth, but I I said you know I. The subway's like four stops, and I'm right at my hotel. And uh, so I just, I went there, and I get on the thing. And, of course, I get on a car that doesn't have any AC in it, right? And we're, uh, and, we, <laughs> and then the thing, you know, and I I just had a regular, you know, like a polo shirt on or something. I mean, I wasn't all that dressed. I was dressed nice, khakis, and desert formal, they call that. Because, uh, so, all of a sudden, the thing stops under the Bronx River. And it's there for, like, 15 minutes in the car. Oh, and, and it's full, and it's. And there's this guy next to me. You know the, the great feeling when the sweat like running down your spine. You know, <laughs> and you can't turn around. And, you can't you can't turn around and scratch it because the thing was too crowded. Well, there's this guy next to me. The dude must have been a guy whose whose history was the, uh, you know, the tune of the unknown soldier or something. The guy's in the full suit. He still he must have come from the game. He still got the stick pin in with the top collar button and the tie and the whole bit. And, I, and he didn't have a beat of sweat on him. I'm thinking. Where did this guy come from? He can't be a human being.
8: <laughs> well, everybody, everybody in the forties and thirties and twenties wore suits, man. Oh yeah. Maybe he's a holdover. Maybe he's a time traveler.
2: Well, I remember, boy, nothing was hotter than in New York in the summertime. I mean, it holds the heat well with all the concrete, and, and if you walk in, the, oh yeah, the steel buildings uh, and
8: the concrete, yeah, it does.
2: Well, then you walk down, you walk down the street with a suit on in the summertime, and you're like, why am I doing this? <laughs> but that's everybody wore them. Well,
8: yesterday, yesterday the uh, subway. Uh, was stalled. As soon as I got on it, the doors closed, and we just kind of wait for fifteen minutes, and then we inch about ten feet and wait about fifteen minutes. Uh, I was worried about missing my class, but fortunately, I left really early. I left an hour and a half before class started, so I got there about forty-five minutes early.
2: Well, anybody who uh... hey,
8: hey hey Tom, if you uh, kill a roach with your hand and um, you have a mouse for a roommate. And you get stuck on the subway, well, you're considered a New Yorker, so you're almost there. <laughs> oh
1: God,
2: God. Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I, well, I think most people, listeners, know that I, I did a lot of stuff with railcar companies when I was a, a Ute. And it, no, nothing compares, if you take the Chicago subway or the L and so forth, I mean, it, 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 everybody thinks that that's, that's a subway system. And, well, the fact that there's a train underground, I guess it is a subway system. But those are, are the cars here are are essentially converted well they used to be converted streetcars you know they're only 55 feet. you could but a New York subway it's like a train where there's four doors on each yeah. side these cars are what 75 foot long as opposed to 55 and a train pulls in the platform could have what 3 4000 people on it and in the, the all four, and the, four, the entire side of the car like opens up and the whole platform just moves in I and mean, it's it's incredible yeah, it's, the difference it's really
8: yeah it's it's incredible movement of people
2: it's, it's 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 Amazing. one one I like
8: the L though. I like the L going from uh, Midway. Oh yeah. To downtown. That's great.
2: What's the, that would be? That's the new one. It's the orange line. The it's orange the line, yeah. it's the latest.
3: Right at all the time.
2: It used to be the you used to have to take the Archer Express bus to do that, but it's uh but I mean the the cars in New York, I mean they're they're real cars. They have compressed air. They're not all electric. Uh but I mean we we built the R46 uh cars for New York, uh Pullman and ended up the amount of graft it took to to complete that contract, <laughs> and then it turned out all the, when we when we when we Pullman. This, this is before my time. I got in the tail end of it. Uh, Robin, uh, the lady who was, comes on the show once in a while, she was more part of it than me. But of course, the people in New York told everybody. First thing they did is they said they like going to Ranger games. So Pullman had to buy season tickets. For like I don't know how many seats we had to buy for so those guys could go to Ranger games. Then we joined some incredible country club out there. When I say we. Because those guys like to play golf, and uh, whenever you went, they had a deal: get a load of this. Even though most of the stuff, you're you're an assembler of these cars. Whenever he says you're building them, you are. You build the sides and you build that kind of stuff. But basically, you're an assembler. Because I used to do the the bids, you know. And I'm going to say 60 to 65 percent of the car was purchased. You just assemble. I mean. they tell they, they tell you who the air conditioner person is going to be they tell you who the truck person is going to be they tell you where you get the, the traction motors they tell you what kind of lights they want they tell you what the cab equipment is so you're buying all that stuff I mean what you do is put the side of the car together and hang it all together and make sure it all works so these guys uh, um, would, would they would they would say okay but you need uh, um, you know they'd had, they had a revenue test where you put the You'd put a bunch of sandbags in there to make it make it seem like there were people's you know fat behinds in there, uh, and and so you ended up you had to you had to run the thing and, and uh, as if it was in service nobody could get on it or off it you had to run it for ten days without anything going wrong with it to prove that the car was okay, but it was it was insanity because if the headlight went out when they told you the brand of the headlight you had to start another ten days. We ended up having wow. a, we ended up having a guy at Pullman.
8: Sounds like the Navy and yeah. the uh, helicopters. Rebu- I think they had to be rebuilt every 100 hours of flight. I mean, they take it down to they take it down to all the parts. you got a 1,000 parts lying on the deck, and they got to rebuild it like every 100 years, hours or something.
2: But every time we went into the maintenance facility, we had to fix it. We had to bribe guys just to let us in. Right, so <laughs> this, this got to be absolute insanity. And we actually had a guy from Boeing we finally hired years later, and he went through the entire car, the R- R46. He said... There is no way you would ever pass a revenue test. If you looked at all the stuff that broke, being a headlight, a tail light, whatever it happens to be, and just a light in the car going out, there's no way you ever go 10 days without one of those things happening. There's no, no chance ever. But finally, after like six months of having to pay people every night to fix stuff, they let us off the hook. Well, it turns out, years later, all these guys went to jail. They the, the, the got the money from the, the ranger tickets and everything like four or five guys went to jail on our on our project <laughs> was like, wow i mean th- it was new york at its finest <laughs> i mean this is all ancient history but un- unbelievable i still have some of the, that stuff some of the articles people going to jail and stuff the guys hey in- tom uh are have you seen the uh, station
8: agent movie no. the station agent
2: no Peter is, he, is it good
8: it's really good um in the movie, uh, Bobby Canal I, I can't pronounce his last name. the I think he's Puerto Rican, but uh, he's a great actor. He asked Peter Dinkle's character. And Peter Dinkle, you know, is a dwarf, I guess. I mean, and uh, he asked he Peter Dinkle, Dinklage character, uh, if there is, if he's a member, or does, he says, uh do you people have clubs? And Peter Dinklage's character says, what do you mean clubs? Because he was thinking dwarves and whatnot. And Bobby's character says, uh, you train people. Because Peter Dinkle is into trains, and he inherits a train station, and he en- ends up living out of it. But <laughs> it's a really good movie. I think you'd like it. Because you-, you people uh, have a club. Trains.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's still a... It's a- Actually, one of the one of the uh, guys, Frank uh, Fay, he was uh, uh he's been member. he's been on the show once a week, and uh, he retired. But he his wife was into uh uh not into her. One of her jobs was to do locations for movies. What what a fascinating job! And she was involved. Oh, that in, would be pretty cool. Yeah, she was involved of uh, remember the movie Lincoln. And they spent yeah. was that was that Spielberg, Manny? Uh. I think
3: it was, actually. I think
2: it was. And, like, two or three years before the movie even started, she was going around Illinois looking for, even if they were in total disrepair, looking for classic train stations for when, you know, he would do a lot of his talks out of the back of a train, right? And they would re- yeah. re- rehab the station. And, I mean, obviously she was looking for ones that didn't need so much rehab. And uh, it was just a fascinating experience. I mean, uh, she had to drive all over and look at these things and so forth. And... Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I there'll be I I wouldn't know how to do it. i would just be driving around the state like an idiot, <laughs> wasting gas. But I think if, <laughs> if if you knew what you were doing, it, I bet I bet her files would be spectacular to look at. Places that she researched and said this would not be good for this movie. Yeah,
8: her uh, photos, her photo catalog would
2: be yeah. incredible. I You're think. saying, well, this would be It'd good be cool for next movie.
8: Yeah, check out her Facebook page with all those photos.
2: Well, all the stuff in the uh, the movie to natural was all in the that was in the Buffalo Stadium, wasn't it, Manny? Ooh. I think it that was sounds a, right, and then uh, the 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 one of the guys who was a uh, vice chairman of the CBOE. the The part where the train was on the side siding, and the, they had the carnival, and he struck out the whammer. That was on a train siding, right, like a mile from the guy's house. He grew up in Buffalo. You know, you know just fascinating stuff. But the, all right, hell, we've got earnings coming through. We've had a, a huge uptick in the market. Now, yesterday we went the other way, and we're creeping down a little bit here today. The Fed's supposed to do their Or 0.25. We've got a recession. I mean, if you ask me, I think that 80 percent of the population has been in in a recession for a minimum decade. But nobody. But now everybody gets to define a recession wherever they feel like it. So if you're if you're bullish, there'll never be a recession according to you. But if you're bearish, or at least you're observant, you'd see a lot of people in a recession right now, Uh, and, and for a long time. And now we have Carl talking about the. The people that are just getting laid off in the last couple of weeks, you got to pay them for sixty days. So he says they will not be counted as being laid off until the March numbers, which would be April first, right, or April first week in April. How do you, how do you put all these numbers together and come up with some kind of an idea of what the future is looking like here? I, I I'm having, I'm struggling to do it to be honest with you.
6: Well, I think
8: the move in the stock stock market um, upward is just a result of bad economic news. Um, telling investors that the Fed is not going to be as restrictive as it was, and it's going to inflate. And I, I don't think the Fed was all that restrictive to begin with. I Me mean, look at bank lending alone. I mean, bank lending is never. I don't think bank lending lending ever took a pause. I don't think it went no. horizontal. I think it went. Well,
2: out. I'm going to say lending. So there's commercial. Now, are you? Would you say that? I'm going to have to be rigorous here because I'll be. I'll be the professor. I'll be you. You got, when you say bank lending. I I, I, I think it's actually very difficult for a small business to get a loan out of a bank. I mean, if you're a yeah. if you're a, a plumbing company, as that example all the time, and you've got five trucks and business is decent, to walk in and get one hundred grand for the, the fifth the sixth truck all outfitted, maybe a little addition on your office and another plumber or two, uh, I I think that loan is is very difficult to get. But I also think oh it is yeah at, at the same time. The guys going to get an application for five credit cards in the mail, while they're telling them no on the other loan. So, if you include credit cards, I think it's amazingly easy. So, but yeah. I, I mean, well, if you look
8: at if you look at commercial and industrial loans, it's going straight up, and the same thing with uh, consumer uh, credit cards and revolving accounts, it's going straight up. So, I agree with you that this, the small business owner is probably not going to be able to get a loan, and you know, and that probably has something to do with the fact that about seventy percent of all loans that banks make. Don't go to the little guy. They go to the big, big corporations and big firms. No, why, so wait. I agree go- with you. It's really difficult for a small business to get that loan.
2: Why, why is why is that? I the uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna shave many many decades off here. When I was in kind of in the remodeling business, it was it was a local bank too. It was a First National Bank. I went up and I, well, the first time they, they gave me a loan, just a, a loan because I had I had good credit rating. There, I had a car loan and so forth. They gave me like, you know, ten grand to do a a remodeling job, and uh, and, you know, just on my own thing. And so then I, they must have gotten stricter or something. I paid them back, so I I, we did a bigger place, and I said I'd like a fifteen thousand dollar loan, and they said, "Ah, man, no way we can do that. So they they basically told me no. And and before that, in the time we closed on the thing we were remodeling, I get this application for a credit card in the mail from the same bank with a fifteen thousand dollar line of credit. I mean. I'm thinking I mean, are, are these guys out of their friggin mind, but but, but I think that happens all the time. i bet I'll bet the plumber yeah. has has a hundred thousand hours on American Express and everything else, and he can't he can't go get a real loan for what he's actually trying to do.
8: Yeah, well, when I was a kid, I went to Lewis State College for a year and a half before I joined the Navy. And Twin River National Bank, they'd give me a tuition loan, and I'd have it paid off by the end of the semester. My parents refused to fill out a FAFSA, so I had to go to the local, uh, state college, which was kind of like, a Idaho's only liberal arts state college, Lewis Clark State College in Lewiston, Idaho. And some of national bank gave me a $7 loan every semester that I get out, I take out to pay my tuition, and during the semester I'd pay it off. So, I mean, I mean, when you look at what happened during the financial crisis, these big, too big to fail banks got even bigger. And I think they used about half the money that they got from the uh, Senate Republicans and George Bush and the House Democrats. They used that money to do what? To get even bigger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I mean, it's all about it's all about consolidation and the big banks getting bigger and and stuffing out the the tiny regional banks or absorbing them into your uh, conglomerate. So it, that's just the tra- uh, trajectory of the thing.
2: Well, what, uh, what 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 happens when people are you know? especially well a lot of the Republicans not, not bashing Republicans here but a lot of them think they're like really law and order right you know compared to the Democrats Democrats want to let everybody out of jail blah 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 yet yet a wasn't you weren't supposed to have uh more was it more than eight or ten percent of all the deposits in any one bank in the country right and didn't didn't bank America like blow right through that like dinner through a goose and nothing ever happened they're just bigger right there's a couple of them now that are over They just got bigger, yeah. They just got... Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they there's just, a lot. They, they said they got rid of too big to
8: fail, but now they have a thing called SIFI, Significant International Financial Institutions. And if those significant international financial institutions get in trouble, those well, that's are going to build them up of their bad decision-making, right?
2: Well, I, I, I would rather... I honestly don't... If there were, if there were enough, uh, you know, banks around... I think you actually, and they're competing properly. I mean, which means some are a little more aggressive than others. If there were enough around, and all of a sudden, you know, there was a, a you know, a hiccup in the economy, and a few of them went under, and because they had some of the bad loans landed with them, because they're gonna, they to land someplace, right? Uh, hell, and if all, if a few banks went under, I I don't think that that's necessarily all that unhealthy, and for the Fed to come in and. And be the banker of last resort and, and, and well, and probably- here's
6: the problem with it it creates
8: the environment of uh, monopolization. Because I remember going into my credit union in North Carolina and asking about refinancing my house, you know, getting a fixed rate 30 year mortgage, and interest rates were really low, really low at the time. But my credit union was like, We're not going to give a fixed rate mortgage when interest rates are this low. But Bank of America was, and why? Well, the the little credit union is not going to be saved by the Fed, right? Right. If, they, if they're underwater on their interest rates, on the net interest margin, if they're underwater, they're not going to be saved. The Bank of America will. Well, so it, it, yeah. it, it snuffs out all these little uh, small regional banks.
2: Well, you're, you're, you're going to be saved in a, you're leading me right into a, first time ever and I wasn't in class, I was in a room with some, with one of the representatives, uh, Melissa Bean was giving a, a speech in Washington. Mesro asked me to go out there and give a lecture on my protected index program to all the other uh, essentially correspondence brokerage firms that were there about how I use options to uh, to protect people's you know portfolios. And it, you know, I had a lot of questions that went on pretty well. And uh, but the, I wasn't the keynote speaker. There was the lady who was was this representative from uh, I'm thinking North Shore. I don't know what district she was, many but. Uh, and this was right in the mess of uh, the 2008 fiasco. And she was talking about, uh, uh, you know, everybody doing their part and the government's doing this and that. And I asked her a question regarding banking because banks were, were were going under right and left here in Illinois. And, and they're basically getting sucked up by, you know, the next bigger bank like you're talking about. But I, I looked at the prices and, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a bank expert, Hal, but you would have looked at them and, you know, you're. You're 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 a conspiracy guy like me, and you look at it and say, you know, Matty Weber Bank, with with you know three three locations and four drive-throughs, and you know uh, you know twenty billion on deposit or some number went under. And by the way, they kicked it. The, the Fed uh, took all the crummy loans, ate them basically, and kicked it to uh, you know Carl Denninger Bank for ten million bucks. And I'm sitting there going, God. Ten million seems pretty cheap. I mean, for for like three three buildings, four drive-throughs, and you know, a, a, a vault downstairs, and and all of a sudden, and how many? I'm thinking, how much? What would it cost me, even even that knowing anything about it? What would it cost me to start from scratch to get twenty billion in deposits for buildings? There's no way I can do that for twenty million bucks. I mean, this is a steal. <laughs> and so, yeah. so anyway, I raise my hand like an idiot, and then I go. You know, I have a question. I'm gonna. I know your background a little bit, which I actually did research. I said, I know you're you 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 like competition. I think she's Republican. I said, I think I know you like competitive process. I said, but and I would guess that if I were to ask you, you'd say you'd wanted more banks rather than less. And she said, Well, absolutely, I would. And I said, Well, okay. Well, while we're here in Washington, sucking up drinks and listening to each other, there's been four less banks in Illinois over the weekend. And she goes, well, I, I didn't hear about that. And I said, well, let me ask you. There's people in this room that have some money. I didn't say me. And uh, I said, what if, what if we put together 10 or $15 million bucks? Could we get in the loop of this stuff and say, we'll take the next one at that price? And I said, and it's and, and a two-part question. I know I had one hand up, a two-part question. The second is, when you go back to the Capitol, every month or six months or every year, some group of people two or three people from either side of the aisle review the last like 20 banking transactions just to see if they make any sense or if somebody's paying off or sitting on somebody's lap and she goes, well, we wouldn't do anything like that I said well so there' there's no oversight whatsoever on the staff essentially matching up you know given giving Carl this whole banking system for for 10 million dollars and anybody else would be dying to pay 25 she goes, well, no, why would, why would we do something like that? And I go, because, well, how can you not? <laughs> your job is, somebody has to look at these people. I don't know who it is, but they, I, I, to me it was so rife with, with, with crookedness I can't even go there. But now this, the Fed seems to think if you can pour enough profit, enough money into the four biggest banks, so no matter how bad the world screws up, they're still in business, somehow you've done your job. I, I don't think that's the job, hell, do you? No.
8: No, I mean, it, if you, I'm going to bring up the Nazis, and if you read Nazi economic history, just the economic history of the Nazis, what they what they really wanted to do is they wanted to they wanted a, a statist, corporatist system, because managing or directing like five major corporations is much easier than uh, directing thousands and thousands of little teeny businesses. And so the goal of these elites, the World Economic Forum, the goal of these elites is to create a cartel of corporatists. Yeah, they're going to dictate what we can do and what we can't do. And it's easier when every business is absorbed in some multinational corporation. Then they can get their the, the record incomes comes true, and they can they can tell us what we can and cannot do. I mean, that's all this is about. These corporatists don't want to face the competition. And the bankers are part of that. And this whole system is predicated on getting rid of all these little competitors because they're hard. It's like herding chickens. You can't herd chickens. I've tried. It doesn't work. You can herd four or five milking cows. And that's all this is about. Control.
2: Well, you know, you also can't herd cats and you you can't herd traders.
8: Yeah, cats are too independent, man. They don't even need you. They don't. They don't... They don't
2: need to be petted. They're not like a dog. No. <laughs> try, try and herd traders when on the trading floor, when everybody's an independent dude and there's like a 1,000 of them <laughs> or 1,500 in one room, you couldn't you get can't. five guys yeah, to agree on yeah. anything. It was like <laughs> SP futures. Hey, we broke into the plus column here. We're up two. SP futures still down four. I'll be right back, Stacks and Jad. We're getting the uh, employment cost index here. That's probably it. We'll talk about it after the break. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to ptisecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's securities.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks,
6: stocks,
0: and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right
8: now, right now.
2: Employment well, Bank, Stocks and Jacks, I'm Tom Weber on the board, SP Futures, uh, up 150 now, and the Futures down 2. We, we like this employment cost index, only up 0.1% on the month rather than 1.11 or something. Up 1% versus 1.1, so if we, the more we, we we don't pay workers, the better off we all are, I guess. The up futures are still down 58. It, big, big news in the Dow is we have uh, McDonald's, even though their earnings were really good, they're down 537. And Caterpillar is down 580. We're down 7 to come back a little bit. Uh, those are uh, stocks that are down a little bit. Over in Europe, we've got uh, DAX down 53.3%. These are always up a little bit from the last time we did this. Puts it down 41.5%. Kick around down 18.3%. Uh, over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei down 106.4%. The Hang Seng down 227. It's two days in a row they're down reasonably heavy, but still 21,842. I think they made it up to 23. Uh, Shanghai... Down 13, that's 0.4%. We've got uh, bonds down 4 basis points, 3.51. The Bund down 2, 2.28. Japan up 2, just right at their top level here, 0.493. Uh, government says they can only go to 5. We'll see at 0.50. We'll see how that works out. Uh, oil down 51 cents, 77.39. So that's down like 5 hours in the last 4 days. Rent down 78, 79 cents, 84.11. Natural gas down a penny, 266. Our Bob down two six two forty seven. 247. Uh, we've got gold down thirteen bucks, nineteen oh nine. It was down a little more. Still above nineteen hundred. Silver down thirty four cents. It was down fifty three cents, twenty three uh, thirty nine. So it's come back a little bit. Copper down five cents, four fifteen. We've got Bitcoin up 241, 22,940. And We have the U.S. dollar uh, up a little bit. Uh, uh, German or the British pound one point three zero two three. And the Euro 1.08. So right about in this range it's been for a while. Matty, what do you have for us? Traffic Weather Sports.
3: Coming up on 35 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We have uh, one crash in the area right now. That's on the Eisenhower inbound side just before Illinois 83. That crash has been moved to the left shoulder, but that's causing delays. if we're coming on I-290. In fact, I-290 in both directions is probably our slowest moving expressway uh, because we had that earlier crash on the inbound side, or excuse me, on the outbound side at York Avenue, but that's been clear. Eden's and kennedy traffic volumes are building, but no crashes to report. Same for the Stevenson, Ryan, I-57, and the Bishop Ford. DuSable Lakeshore Drive looking good in both directions. Uh, only other crash in the area is out uh, in the southwestern suburbs. Eola Road between Montgomery and uh, US-34, which is Ogden, uh, is closed due to an earlier crash and investigation and recovery of a vehicle that rolled into a pond at the intersection of Eola and Autumn Road. Hey, I hate it when that happened. earlier this morning. That's... <laughs> That's not good, but the investigation is ongoing there. And I mean, that's do you have, your little,
2: you, you have your little tool in the car where if you roll into a pond, you can break your window?
3: Good question. I do not. But I don't God, either. Maybe I should keep a, a hammer or something.
2: By the way, uh, Bill Murphy, uh, you know, our, our, your former neighbor and my neighbor, just came back from Florida. He so they still have cars bobbing in the bay. Yikes. From the hurricane. That's not good. No.
3: Weather today, uh, partly cloudy skies, very cold, a high of 12 with wind chills hovering right around zero. Right now, it is clear and 4 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, rain in the forecast and a high of 60 today. Right now, it's mostly clear and 47. In sports, Bulls were off last night. They're back in action tonight as the Clippers come to town. That's a 7 p.m. tip-off at the United Center. Suns beat the Raptors 114-102. to 102. Blackhawks and Coyotes were both off. And uh, as we talked about in the uh, top of the show, legendary Blackhawk uh, Bobby Hull passed away at the age of 84. Chief.
2: The uh, hell, we're gonna get back to what we were talking about uh, in a second here, uh, and I have plus other questions for you. But I like to take advantage of Maddie being here on Tuesday once in a while by giving him a a sports question. Now, this this Matty, hopefully, you will turn into this someday when you have nothing better to do. Um, this Core Digest—they have people in here that have way too much time, and they they and they dig through. If you have some simple question like. Who's the best shortstop of all time? Within well, like two days, somebody will spend like twenty hours going through every single stat in the world for every shortstop, and he'll answer you. Well, evidently, somebody must have a- asked, uh, "Who is the best NBA player, offensive wise, ever?" So this guy comes up with these these things. Uh, the key is assist per game, field goal percentage, points per game, uh, TS and TS plus, whatever true shooting percentage. True shooting percentage adjusted for ERA, and then they they take Michael Jordan as the as the person everybody thinks was the best, and then he figures out plus and minus like like Jordan, then comes up with this list. Interesting. And uh, and so I'm going to give you. Uh, I, I actually picked well a few of the top few ones here, but I I you know this is an interesting list. But uh, can you name the top? I'll say the top five, or hell, can you? I'm actually the top ten. And it gets then it gets different after that. And what does he go down to? He goes to the top uh God, he's got like
3: f- this is all 50. time.
2: Fifty, this is all time.
3: Um no, well, off- it, offensive player You're now, talking so yeah. just offensive, yeah. so um I would say he, uh Oscar Robertson's gotta be number one. Uh and He's not in the top is he in the top five? He's number two. Okay, so there wasn't really an eh, ant. Um it. I would put Magic Johnson up there. Uh he, he was number eight. Okay. I would put LeBron up there,
2: number nine. Magic Johnson is, is plus seven, and uh, and uh, I don't know how he's plus when Michael Jordan is three. But uh, anyway, he's uh, yes. Michael Magic Johnson is said here. I'll give you the sum on him. Averaged nineteen point five per game without looking to shoot, and was a magical ball handler and passer, a much better shooter than many basketball fans realize. With a stellar six ten TSP, what is that? Uh, something. Shooting percentage, I guess, adjusted for era or something.
3: Uh, is uh, You mentioned Jordan, obviously. Is Larry Bird up there?
2: Uh, actually, he is not.
3: That's surprising. Oh, he's 10. Oh, he's 10. Okay, yeah. so he's in the top 10. Yeah. Um, Jerry West? Uh, ding, ding, ding. Number five. Number five? God, who would be number one that I didn't mention? Um, How about uh, Kareem or
2: uh, Wilt? Uh, Kareem would be number seven. Wilt was the obvious choice at number one for me. it was I, I, number one, okay. Yeah, I mean, the obvious. Was he got Wilt, uh, Oscar, Michael Jordan, Kevin Durant, four. I mean, I, I, if I you're don't.
3: factoring in, like, assists and, and stuff like that, which I thought you were, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't think Wilt would be number one. But, but, I mean, he was a good passing big man. Well, you a know lot what? of people don't realize that. He, he
2: was it's an interesting turn in his career. He was a bleeding scorer for years, and then people gave him the, the heat that he didn't pass enough. So the next year, he said, I'll show these people I can pass. And he was the number, he led the league in assists for like the next four <laughs> years. And uh, he. He's got triple team the guy. Yeah, he, he has. triple team the guy, so he's one the Ch- open guy. Will Chamberlain hit offensive heights no other NBA players ever approached, with points per game average of 50.4, 44.8, 38.4, 37.6, et cetera. No one else c- comes remotely close to Wilt as a scorer. He had the three highest scoring averages in NBA history, five of the top seven. But he stopped trying to score after criticism that he scored too much, then became the only center to lead the NBA in assists. Amazing. Well, this explain that it was his decision to score less. What people don't remember was my first seven years, I scored a lot of points. Then I scop- stopped scoring on my own volition. I tried to do other things. I was asked to do other things. That's what I did for the last seven years. <laughs> he, he led the NBA in field goal percentage nine times. Uh, no doubt. I mean, uh, but there's there's names in here that I I was kind of I, I didn't realize Kevin Durant. I mean, I've seen him play. We, I think he's spectacular. Uh,
3: yeah, we did. The only modern guy I mentioned was LeBron, but I would I would say Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. I mean, those Steph guys, Curry's number six.
2: I mean, Jerry West seven, Kareem, Magic, LeBron. LeBron's up there. Larry Bird, Sha- Shaq. I think we got pretty much everyone. Yeah. Well, then you got – when you got you drop down at George Mike and Bob Pettit, Elgin Baylor, Charles Barkley's fifteen.
3: Yeah. Well, well when it's all said and done, Kevin Durant. Stephen Curry, the, the 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 skill that they have offensively when their careers are over, I mean those guys are gonna be way high on every
2: list. Um you know here's one here's one here's a guy who played in the wrong we were talking earlier about people who played in the wrong city. Here's a guy who be played in New York or Boston would be a household word is George Gervin. Iceman. Yeah? Oh yeah. You know his famous Iceman. You know his famous quote was? The thing I could do was the finger roll. <laughs> 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 they got year, here nineteen. Where do you think this kid is? Uh, this guy, uh, what's his name? The guy who's the best best guard now, in the Luka Doncic. Where's he? He's gonna he's gonna be all over his stats. He's, when he's be, done.
3: yeah. Uh, that's another guy that's gonna be uh, a top ten offensive guy of all time. He doesn't play a lick of defense, but God, on offense, he's a wizard. Passing, rebounding, can score in any way, outside, inside, you know, mid range. He just does it all.
2: You know, who's number twenty one is Adrian Daly. Oh. Yeah, Adrian Daly was awesome. One thing I would uh, like
3: to say
8: about this is, as a statistician. And a sports fan you have to be able to control for the type of defense that the players were faced with and the, the defense in the 90s was pretty pretty physical today you put a hand on the guy and it's a foul yeah. but back and then they, then they have on top of that they have this modified zone defense that they can play you didn't have that um, back in the 90s so I, I think you have to control for the intensity of the defense. Because that's going to affect your shooting percentage, your true shooting
2: percentage. Well, not being able to put your hand on the guy. You didn't put your hand on the guy. I mean, I played a lot of ball, not as much as Maddie later. But the reason why you put your hand on the guy is you can tell which way he's going. It's not, it's not like you're pushing him. Right, yeah. Maddie? Well, actually, you, yeah. you what well, those his body guys are up. at
8: ref camps, they show you how these defenders are very good at uh, pushing these guys off where they want to go. Oh, yeah. Where and it doesn't look like much, but they can really direct... If you're good at it, you can really direct that offensive player and knock him off his game.
2: Well, if, if you've never played a lot of basketball, you don't realize how much strength is a part of the game. The, the guys yeah. that are stronger just, well, seem, to to, just seem to be it's able to physical. stand can ten, with...
8: ten people in that small of a space, it's a physical game.
2: Well, there's a look used to say. He, he takes up space, which means he when he gets his spot, nobody can move him. Just yeah. A, so, hey, I, I, uh, I was listening to... Well, I've listened to the TV all day long, and it does aggravate me. But uh, it's interesting. Now we just had a, a, a bump up here in the market, which we were trying to do yesterday. Anyway, that we were down yesterday with this labor number stuff. Now I, I think, in one hand, you and I, and you know, Maddie listens to us. You and I know that if you go month after month where prices are going up one percent, and your and labor is going up point seven percent or wages, that you just you pretty much defined. A recession for everybody in the country except a few people. I mean, but how can you? Yeah. P- I mean, how can you define it any any worse? Your statue, your 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 uh, living standards are going down basically by the month. And in the last three or four years, maybe even more, anybody who had money in the bank earning nothing, with an inflation rate of say nine for three years in a row, has thirty percent less buying power than they did three years ago. I mean, these are these are absolute definitions that you can't you can't get away from. Yet, it seems like more and more I hear about this this, this wage-based inflation. Now, you know, I tell you what, as I, I'm, I'm too old to get dogmatic. These people are morons. When they, they aren't morons as people, but anybody who thinks that during the 70s and 80s, and I still do research on it to refresh my memory, even though I was here and doing a lot of it, anybody who thinks that labor was a net winner during that era, really is 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 eating the wrong gummies that that's absolutely untrue i mean yet you hear it all day long that this, that was a wage i'm going to say in their defense the last few months of that when when a lot of unions had gotten to the point where they could get cost of living increases in their contracts in the last 4 to 6 months when the cpi did its usual horse bleed job and actually showed inflation when there wasn't any Probably the last six months, labor might have gained a little bit because they were still getting raises when there really wasn't any inflation even though the CPI showed it. but for the first 10 years, they were so far behind the the, the the wagon they couldn't see it. I mean does anybody honestly think that from 1970 to 1984 that labor was a net winner? I mean you couldn't nobody can be that stupid can they?
8: Yeah, um, one thing I don't like about the way they're reporting the employment cost index, they're doing a quarter over quarter. And if you look at it year over year, um, it's probably, I haven't had a chance to calculate it because the spread database hasn't been updated yet. I would suspect it's year over year, it's 4%. And inflation is 5%. So there's that wedge that you mentioned between the two. There's a wedge in between those two. And if people are having trouble last month purchasing wants and they're barely able to purchase their needs, each month there's that wedge between price inflation and wage inflation it just gets worse for the average american so i don't think this is good news this is just more bad news and the bad news makes investors think that the fed is going to not want a recession and it's going to reverse and start printing money and lowering interest rates and that's why when you get bad news nowadays bad economic news investors are like yeah the fed's going to pump it up and all that says the Fed creates the business cycle. It creates the inflation. It creates the business cycle. And every time I, I see this repeat itself over and over and over, I think the Austrians got it right on Austrian business cycle theory. The central bank is the creator of the business cycle.
2: Well, you mentioned earlier, and uh, by the way, you call it the, uh, uh, you put a political spin on it when you say the, the Nazi system. Uh, Lou calls it the, the fascist but it really, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, uh, you, know, you know, over 91, 92, whatever the hell the year it was, Dr. Jay and I were over in uh, Germany. We were lecturing at banks on options, right? Because they just started doing options over there, and we got this, I don't know, we got, we got hired to go over and lecture about options. And, and I had never been to Europe before, so it was pretty fi- Well, I had been to Europe for a wedding, but that didn't count. So I actually went to somebody, we, we, we lectured at Credit and in, in Vienna. And then we were at dear departed uh, Dresdner Bank in uh, Germany, which, of course, got taken over by uh, Deutsche Bank, I think. Uh, but we went to those places, and, and I, you, you couldn't help but notice what you're talking about. Hell, it's a, I don't know that it's a, <clears throat> a fascist or Nazi thing, because I think it was probably entrenched in, in German society long before that. And I think it's, in a lot of continental Europe, it's kind of the same way. It's not like that in Britain, I don't believe. But basically, Well, I think it's a holdover for mercantilism. Well, it's right. it's where
8: the merchants the merchants collected collected the taxes on behalf of the kings. Yeah, and the kings granted them a monopoly in the kingdom.
2: Well, whatever whatever it started, percent. but it's 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 clearly three or four or five large businesses in every industry with their nose up the ass of government, Is, I mean, and, and you can sense it when you're there, like in the banks. And all of a sudden, I realized the banks. I realized, I mean, I found out for the first time. That one of the, some of the stuff we do in America, that's U.S. of America, that other people that make a lot of sense, <laughs> maybe used to do more of it. We don't stock in stack in other in, in companies. Is has never been, other than Fannie preferred, how that work out, has never been good capital for a bank in this country, where in Europe it is, and in Japan it is. So, you know, the like Dresner Bank might own. Fifty percent of some company in any, you know, it could be a plumbing company, it could be a bullet making company, it could be, you know, whatever it is, they could make, you know, uh, cell phones. They were here. We never had that. You know, which, when you think about it, why would you want your banks that loan people the dough and control the money? Why would you want them owning the companies at the same time? What a, what a horrible system when you think about it in terms of competition and everything else. Yet that was yeah. the system over there. And and when I left in ninety one, the first thing I thought of. Was I told Doctor Jay, and it playing away way back. I said, "We don't ever want to be like them. It's it's a horrendous system. It it's truncated. You know, if you're a lawyer, you didn't make any money until you were 45 because you couldn't compete with the top five law firm. I mean, every every walk of life had this pecking order to get into. You could never start anything as an entrepreneur out of your garage and, and get into a business. You couldn't do that over there. Yeah, or that here. just that just uh, points out the difference
8: between the European culture and the American culture. The American culture as I was telling my students yesterday is You take a risk. You'll risk life and limb to come to the United States. And it did not matter if it was the pilgrims riding wooden ships with sails, where if they ran out of water, they prayed for rain, right? They're risking life and limb to come to the United States. And then you get the migrants from South America and Central America risking death and rape and all kinds of things. And they're risking it all to come to the United States, right? The United States is where the risk-takers end up at. The people who want to be free and take the risk and think what they want to think. And that's the difference between us and Europe. And unfortunately, we have these corporations, these corporatists in the United States, who are tied into this world economic forum and that that uh, Klaus Schwab, who sounds like a Bond villain, and he's just minus the little white kitten, right? They want to partner with this guy. Well, yeah. They want to create this stakeholder capitalism, which to me is just... Uh, corporatism.
2: We can't wait. We, we, we can't wait to. F- the, we can't wait to hook up with the Chinese. <laughs> and look, and look what we know yeah. about that place. By the way, if ever, if ever there's a page, there's in, in you know, all the lot of the books I've read, there's a couple of pages that I think everybody. Well, there's more than a couple. You don't have to read the whole book, but there's a couple of pages that I think everybody should read. Any, anybody who cares about business, one of them, one of them, uh, Maddie, I, you'll never do this. You get too nice of a wife. Uh, the guy in the bonfire to vanities. The guy who ended up going to jail because the, the girlfriend hit whatever, but there was one page in there. Hell, this is that book has to be thirty years old, and the guy was talking about how he made a million dollars a year, and he was and he he spent like a million one because he had the wife, the girlfriend, and the two different apartments, and and, and all, he, he would be home and the wife is bitching at him, and then he go to the girlfriend's and she's bitching at him. She had a new apartment, and the guy. What possessed him to do that? But there's a page in there that you'd read about spending too much dough, but there's also a page in uh, Sovereign State of ITT, where Harold Janine, and where, what nationality is that, Janine? I have no idea. Is he? I mean, I honestly don't know I mean, what, 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 he, what nationality he was, but there was a, a page in there, and he was the original, uh, what was the term? These uh, uh, For the big companies that owned all kinds of other companies. Uh, Tell us the name of it? Conglomerates. They were, they were like the original conglomerate. You now, they laid the the, tele- the telegraph lines across the Atlantic Ocean and all that stuff, didn't they? You know? ITT? Uh, but yeah, they, I think they were, yeah. Yeah, but they owned like everybody at some point. And uh, he had a page in there about how, how irritating governments were. And you just had to pay them off, get them out of the way. If they took money, that was easy. If you had a you have to pay people to vote against them. That was easy, but basically, you had to get governments out of the way so guys like him could do world business because they were really the guys that were going to make the world proper, and they they really should be running the show. And I mean, it was it was weird to read, and I, I, I need to get the book and read that for everybody someday. It was but I mean, a lot of these guys we're, we're we're becoming like that. I mean, we really only want. I mean, look at the baby formula business. What there's four companies that all have contracts with the government, four or five. And that's all there is. It, that that is so yeah. fascist. it's scary. You know, I'm not talking about you know concentration camps of killing people. I'm saying, as an economic system, that's that's not our system. And yet there it is. And you can well in it. a system where debt is so
8: encouraged, where you know the government takes out all kinds of debt, encourages the populace to take out all kinds of debt. To me, it's, it's it, it it can be on a psychological level just as bad. I think yeah. because. You, you have all this debt, you have to go along, you have to say the right things, you can't speak out, you can't criti- be too critical, because they can come after you. They yeah. can, I mean, you're in debt. You have a family and kids, and at any moment you could lose it all, right? If, if we had a system where we encouraged savings, uh, I think we'd be a much freer society. If, if we encouraged savings as a, as a government, we encourage all this debt. Yeah. And it's just—it's a trap.
2: Well, I, I honestly—I don't get a whole lot of agreement, and uh, and, and it's not. When Maddie and I have talked about this many times on the right end, uh, I I think that people who have uh, exorbitant student loans, um, I don't I don't think that they can even be politically. They they can't be independent. You now they they can't they can't say take this job and shove it because they really they 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 could never be uh, demonstrating against, you know, city government on the street because their company could could fire them for doing that and by the way if they're fired all of a sudden now they can't pay their student loan debt back. I mean, we the idea is to get people wrapped up and this the student loan does that for people. You got there's no yeah. b- there's, I mean I'm a guy who went to school at a at a good school for 3200 bucks a year. The idea that you, you come out of these places with a quarter million dollars in debt now for the same education I got for twelve grand is insanity. Well, I mean, but it's not the same education. I mean you're getting you're getting diplomas in fields
8: in in disciplines that there's no jobs for. There's well, no jobs for the kind of degrees that young people are getting, I, I knew a I lot of guys, getting duped into these things. I knew a
2: lot yeah. of guys that came out of Notre Dame with sociology and English degrees and stuff, but and, and maybe they had a, a, a company their dad owned they were going to work for, but at least they got they got four years of education, learned a bunch of stuff, and it and it was twelve grand they wanted to spend or will make that. Well, exchange. I also think I think the content of the courses back then were kind of more lying along the line of
8: a classical liberal education where you read the hundred greatest books. Oh, right? without a doubt, without a doubt, greatest books. Yeah, without a doubt. That's not happening today. It, it's just not. I mean. The public. I, I'm seeing how bad the public school system is in New York State. I was shocked the other day. Students were telling me they didn't know what a, a comma was. I said, "All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna excel." And they're like, "All right, uh, do a3 comma b2 comma." They didn't even know what a comma was. that's how poorly trained these kids from these public schools. And I feel bad for them. They're p- that poorly trained. They I don't even mean, know what a comma is.
2: Well, you know, there was. It broke a- my heart, this uh, crazy uh, Quora thing that I read, why I because why they sent it to me and I read it. If there's something there, if there's a question I don't know the answer to, of course I've got to read it. Uh, hell, you know, you have the same personality I do in that regard. And, and by the way, we're probably infecting Matty. he's has the same way. If it's a question he likes to, he never thought he has to read the answer. But they were talk- one, of the, one of the questions was, uh, did, did Churchill think that Truman was an idiot because he only had a uh, high school education? And the answer was, no, he wasn't an idiot, <laughs> and was never thought to be, yeah. because he said people forget how how serious the education system was, basically back in the twenties and during the depression. I mean, when I say serious, you went to school, you you came out of there knowing how to read and write. You knew civics, you knew you had an appreciation for history, and you knew you know you didn't know calculus, but you knew math. You might knew how you might know how to read a drawing if you're going if you went to some kind of a technical. Said said Truman was an amazing reader. And he was. He, he knew everything about government. Said he was a. Yeah, the education a, system set you up for future learning. You didn't need a formal education.
8: The right. education system back then set you up to be a lifelong learner. And some of the best economists I've ever met were guys that just were reading Mises' treaty, Treatise on uh, on Economics, or Murray Rothbard's interpretation of it. Those were some of the best economists I've ever met. Just guys that were fascinated by it and just read book after book after book on economics.
2: All right, so we, uh, you have 30 seconds. Is, is the market going to keep going for another month, or is, is uh, January it for a while?
8: Well, I think as the bad news comes in, the stock market goes up because investors believe that the Fed is going to stop uh, raising interest rates and start pushing them down.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I wish I wasn't, but, but I am. Yeah. All right, but take care of yourself. SPP is up 11, NASDAQ is up 34. Back tomorrow, Stacks and Jacks.
1: What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir.
3: I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to ptisecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at ptiprodirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit nadex.com. HomeSource Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit hamzianalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. Dax Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.